0: Hard to find a spot to jump in after the Lord's, as the Lord is doing. You know, I used to be somewhat intimidated by the quiet. Now it's a safe place. You know, we have our lives so filled with noise. There's always different kinds of noise, but there's so much noise that takes place in our lives. And then when we come to church, if you come to the river, it can be noisy. <laughs> and, uh, but we get so accustomed to something always being put in that when we get quiet and allow time for Him, it can be very awkward and uneasy. Wow. The sweet. The Lord's had me uh, back in the book of Ephesians last week. We, and uh, we taught we ta- out of 1 John, as he is, so are we in the earth. And we taught out of Corinthians where he said, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And uh, this coming Saturday is our Azusa here meeting. That's, uh, in, it'll be in Greensboro. And just as I've been... Preparing my heart and praying into that. And we started on Wednesday night meeting every night praying. And uh, just believing God uh, for this meeting. Not for the meeting, but just... Not just for the meeting. Um, But my heart's just been so drawn. You know, Paul wrote in Thessalon. He said, pray without ceasing. So we shouldn't have to have special meetings to pray. But... uh, I think it's powerful when we do take that time and we're able to do it. And uh, as, we've been, as we've been praying, the Lord has just continued to stir, to stir my heart because I think what, my perspective anyway, true biblical prayer is not trying to convince God that we're right and it needs to be done our way. But true biblical prayer is finding out the heart of God and praying in agreement with what God has said in His Word. Because it's his word that will not return void. It's his word that will prosper in everything he sends it to. Amen. So as we pray the word and we understand what he is saying, and that's what we pray, then we partner with heaven. So the Lord just had me back in the book of Ephesians. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 3 is where we'll eventually land, I'm hoping. Uh, Verse 8 is probably where we'll start when we get there. But as I was reading this, I went back into Acts, because in Acts is uh, where Acts chapter 18 and 19 is where we first see Paul going to Ephesus. And modern day, uh, well, Ephesus, where it's located, is on the west coast of modern day Turkey. So I um, had a map and forgot to put it up where I could show you, but so... uh, Anyway, if Israel is here, it's over, way over here, right around. Um, that clear everything up for everybody. It's a good ways away. And, uh, but, uh, it would have been pretty if I had it up there. It made a lot of sense, but I just totally forgot I had it and everything. But, anyway, moving right along. Uh Paul goes through there in uh, some 20 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But it was the day of Pentecost. There were guys from that area who were in Jerusalem. There were Jews in Jerusalem uh, when the day of Pentecost happened. They were there to celebrate the feast. And so word went back uh, to Ephesus. And Ephesus was a key, just in the natural, it was a key port. Uh, a thriving uh, economy and everything. So it was a, a place that was happening. There was actually, uh, they, would, they had venues there that would seat like 50,000 people. That's just amazing to me that they were set up for that. But that was because of the commerce and it being on the coast. There were that, not much uh, people in and out. But um, I'm saying all this because Paul travels through there on his second missionary journey but he doesn't stay he goes through and it's so amazing and, and I'm not rambling I'm really going somewhere Paul goes through cor- Corinth so he goes up around and he's in Corinth and Corinth is Corinth is across the, the sea from, from Ephesus so Paul goes up and around he's in Corinth and there he meets uh, Aquila and Priscilla and they are just, they're tent makers like him. He's in Corinth about a year and a half, I think. Maybe a little longer, close to two years. And he's preaching. And when he leaves to go over to Ephesus, Aquila and Priscilla leave and go with him. That's just amazing to me. But It doesn't say that they were moving because they felt like they wanted to move their business because they were tent makers. Uh, but it says that when Paul went, they went with him and they stayed there in the, uh, Ephesus area, and so they just picked up home and moved, and they had sat with Paul, they had sat with Paul in his teaching for nearly two years, so we come to, I'm in Acts chapter 18 now, because I want to get us a, a little background to make sense for Ephesians chapter 3, so, uh, <clears throat> let me see, uh, verse, verse 20, let me see, uh, verse 18. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of uh, the brethren and sailed to, for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Sanxera, for he had taken a vow. I thought about Stephen. Stephen went to the DR and got all his hair cut off, left his beard. But uh, Paul had taken a vow, and it it was the fulfillment of the vow, so he shaved his head, and he came to Ephesus, verse 19, and left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they had asked him to stay longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep the uh, coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea... And had gone up and greeted the church. He went down to Antioch. And after that, he had spent some time there. He departed, went over region of Galatia and... Uh, just left me right there. Fergia? Fergia? <laughs> yeah. In order, uh, in order, strengthening the disciples. Verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in, at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus... This had man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he, only, no, he knew only the baptism of John. Verse 26, so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Aquila and Priscilla heard him. They took him inside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Yeah. Thank God for a teachable spirit. So here's this guy. His name's Apollos. So we have, all right, again, that's why I wanted to say what I did. So we have Paul in Corinth for a year and a half or or more. And then he leaves Corinth, and he travels across the sea, and he brings with him Aquila and Priscilla. He brings them with him, and when they come, they're here in Ephesus now. Paul goes on, leaves them there. You, You with me? So here comes this guy, Apollos, and he is eloquent. He knows the word, he's scholarly, he's a great teacher, and he's he's encouraging everyone with the baptism of John. And so when Priscilla and Aquila hear him, they don't go, dude, you're wrong. What they say is, man, you're good, but we want to help you understand that there's more to this because the gospel that Paul's been given That's what Paul talked about in the whole book of Galatians. That's what he talked about in the book of Romans. That's what he talked about in the book of Galatians. So I imagine Romans is this big discourse on it, and Galatians is like the footnotes. It's like the cliff notes of uh, that this is by grace. It's not of works, it's by grace. So I believe they sat down and and went over the footnotes with him and said, look, this is grace. He understood repentance. That's what the, the baptism of John is. It's repentance from sin to God. John went before Jesus, and he was preaching what? Repentance. There's one coming that's going to be our Savior, our Messiah. So you need to, Messiah, you need to repent. You need to turn from sin and turn to him. That's what Apollos knew, and that's what he was preaching, and he was preaching it emphatically. But when he met Priscilla and Aquila, they said, hold on, there's more to this than what you know. And he took that word and made changes and, and went out continuing to preach with passion but listen to this here's the thing about him that just it wrecked me because i was thinking about this this morning and then and then uh katie came up with that word verse 25 says this this man had been instructed in the way of the lord and being fervent in spirit he spoke and taught accurately the things of the lord though he knew only the baptism of john so I think there's a teachable moment there for us. In the fact that as we grow in Revelation understanding, you don't ever arrive. And we have to remain teachable. That, and we have to be open to other people who, that they would be teachable, that we would be able to share with them just like Priscilla and Aquila. They didn't tear him down. They didn't say, dude, you don't know what we know. You're good, but you're not that good. What you know, you know, but what you don't know, we know. And you need to know what we know, because we got you. They didn't do that. They pulled him aside. They didn't stand in the middle and embarrass him. Hello? That hurts my heart so much. In our culture today, we have so many self-righteous people in Christendom who feel like they need to write articles and, and tell everybody else how they're doing it wrong. Instead of going to them and saying, look, I think that there's an area here that you could grow in. No, they would like to write an article so that everybody can see that they feel that they're right and that they can maybe out-argue them. That bothers me. Because in the, in the army of the Lord, we're shooting each other. They pulled him aside and they talked to him. And they, they noticed this about him, that he was a man fervent in spirit. Here's That word just uh, is eating me up. It it means this. Fervent means this. Living fervor, fiery hot, full of burning zeal. Listen, it is the opposite of dignified, cold, and unemotional. It's the opposite of dignified, cold, and unemotional. So when it says that he was fervent in spirit... He, he was living fervor. He was fiery hot and full of burning zeal. It doesn't just mean that he was one of those spitting preachers that was just shouting, and then he walked off and he was just meek mouth. No, it said that his life, this is who he was, that he was fervent. He was zealous. And, and you know, I would to God, I would rather have people who are fervent and zealous and ignorant than people who are educated and dead. Because if they're fervent, if they're zealous and teachable, now there are those who are fervent and zealous and you can't teach them anything. And all you got to do is cut the string and they'll float away. (laughs) And that's it. But to those who are zealous and they're teachable, give me those people. Because they may be wildfire, but if if they have a teachable spirit, they know that you love them and what you want for them is best, then they'll allow you to speak into them and they'll make adjustments and those adjustments will bring great glory to the Lord. But they'll do something because they're beyond that place of where they're worried about what everyone else thinks. It's the polar opposite of dignified. (laughs) I love that. I love that. It's the polar opposite of dignified. And, and as I said, we grow in levels of this. It doesn't mean you just arrive at this place. He was tall. It says that he was an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures. So he wasn't just stirred up. Are you with me? He knew what he knew. P- Paul. Hallelujah. I think Paul could have grace for this and I think that he imparted that grace into Aquila and Priscilla because they probably didn't have it all when he met them either. And he imparted that grace because of all people, Paul understood what it meant to be zealous. you understand? When Paul started, I was looking at that this week, when Paul started his rampage to snuff out the church, he was around 25 years old. He was around 25 years old. He was about 10 years younger than Jesus He was around 25 years old when he was going out, seeking out the church, persecuting the church. So he was between 25 and 30 when he stood and and told them, when they laid their coats at his feet, when they stoned Stephen. That's a young man. That's a young man. He was zealous. He was brought up in it. He knew it. But he had an encounter with the living God. And I'm thankful that Apollos, he had an encounter with God. So I said all that to say... This is what's taking place in Ephesus, right? This is the history of what's been going on in Ephesus. So Paul goes, these guys are left behind. Two years later in Acts 19, uh, not two years later, Paul comes back later and spends two years with them in Ephesus. And uh, we see that in in chapter 19, in Acts 19. And uh, let me see. Verse 1, and it happened, while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. (laughs) Well, there you have it. I could have probably said that same statement when I was... In Bible college. I mean, I knew there was a Holy Spirit, but all he did was get us born again. And then he kind of went to heaven or lived in us just quietly. And kept to himself. He was our seal in security that one day we would get to heaven. But other than that, his job was just to hang out and keep us secure. You know, keep us from going to hell because we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. <clears throat> and that was about all we knew about Holy Spirit. But he said to them, verse 3, he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism, verse 4. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, that's what I said earlier, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12, and they went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, (coughs) reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way, the way, speaking of the believers, before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew uh, the disciples, re- reasoning daily, in the school of uh, Tyrannius. And in this school, I, I was looking it up, and no one knows exactly what the school was, but there was this big uh, gathering place, this school. There, I think the ruins are still there uh, in Turkey. But he would go, and, and thousands would, could come and listen to him. And there, he continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus both Jews and Greeks. Verse 11. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them and the evil spirits were out went out of them. Hm. Huh. That's pretty awesome. So, Paul's there for two years. He's preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is that gospel he preached? Galatians. Because Paul said there in Galatians twice if anyone preaches any other gospel other than this, you've heard of me, let him be accursed. Again, I say to you, if an angel Comes to you preaching a gospel this different than this, let him be accursed. What was that gospel? By grace are we saved through faith, that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a free gift. You don't work your way in. It's a gift that God says, here, I'll bestow this upon you when you believe me by faith. And once you believe by faith, you can be born again. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. He said, don't marvel I tell you, you must be born again. So when we are born again, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we are born into the family of God. Our spirit man is made new. We become a new creation. That's what the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, right? It's right. You can look it up. <clears throat> that's right. I wasn't misleading you. We become a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. That new creation is something that's never been before. God said, that's what I'm going to do with you. I'm going to make you something that's never been before. So these believers had been baptized into repentance. They had believed in Jesus. They had been born again. But Paul said, there's something more. There's something more. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Paul didn't just talk about it. He was there two years. He reasoned. But I love this. And I've asked the Lord many times, what is an unusual miracle? Miracles are pretty unusual, wouldn't you say? I mean, what are unusual miracles? I believe there were limbs growing out. I believe there were eyeballs popping in. I believe there were all these things taking place because we see uh, Jesus telling a man with a withered hand to stretch it out, and his hand grew out right there in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Come on. (laughs) That messed up the religious society. Jesus said, stretch out your hand. He stretched out his hand. And here Paul did unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. So this is just, this is what was going on in their presence, Are you with me? It's like Jesus, when Jesus walked down the street and they said they lined the streets with the people that were sick and if they just touched the hem of his garment, they were healed and they were made whole. And everywhere he went, everyone who touched him was healed. It's the same principle that he said that they took handkerchiefs. People who couldn't get to Paul, they took Paul's clothes to him. That's just awesome. That's just awesome. So these people here in Ephesus had an understanding of that. Are you with me? It's in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 3 that Paul prays for them. And I'm not going to go through all those. There's Ephesians chapter 1. I think it's uh, around verse 17. Let me look just so. He starts talking about it in 15, but then he actually starts praying for them in verse 17 through uh, 22. Then over in chapter 3. Chapter 3, it's verse uh, 16, 17, the same thing. He starts praying for them through verse 21. And in there, he's talking about their eyes and their understanding being enlightened. that They might know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So I said all that to to get to to verse 8. Because Paul is talking, when he wrote this letter to Ephesus, it was people he had spent two years with. And this letter was written about 10 years after Paul had left. So Paul had been there. He had spent two years of his life teaching and preaching. And then 10 years later, he writes a letter and he says, I want to remind you of what's in you. I want to remind you what's in you and what that should look like in a practical way. That's what Ephesians is. Ephesians 1 through 3 deal with our who. Who we are in Christ. Ephesians 4 through 6, there's six chapters, deals with our Do what our who should look like <laughs> so he deals with who we are and he deals strongly with identity he says over and over and over that we're in him that we're in him that we're in him so that our identity is not in us in Ephesians 1 verse 6 he says we're accepted in the beloved that's Jesus that we're accepted our place in with God is acceptance because of Jesus we're accepted in him So Paul's writing these things to a church who saw extraordinary miracles. What's that have to do with today? Because we're we're praying for and believing for, not just for a day, April 9th, this Saturday that's coming up. But my heart is that just as Paul wrote to the Ephesians and prayed, I want you to understand what's on the inside of you. That's my heart for the church today that we understand what's on the inside of us. Because that's when revival takes place. Revival doesn't come, and you can study history, and I've said this before, but it needs repeating. Revival doesn't come because enough people beg God and convince him to do something because he's in heaven not wanting to do something. God is not stuck, nor is he mad, nor is he disgusted with the church. He loves us very much. Amen. Nothing we can do can make him love us anymore because that's just who he is. He's love. But there is a desire in his heart and a passion that the church, the body of Christ, live out all that he paid for it to have. So I believe when you study church history and you study revivals, what we call revivals, awakenings, whatever you want, they're always preceded by prayer. Here's tautology. Here's my theology in that. And so what we created, not my theology, but what's created through church history is this. Well, when men pray hard enough, God moves. So literally we're saying our prayers move God. That's what we've taught through church history. What I believe through studying the scriptures and church history is this. As men pray, they get the mind of God. They start to cooperate with God. Then we see awakening on the earth. Because they quit hiding in their closet saying, God, do something. They spend so much time in intimacy with the Lord, the boldness of the Lord. What did they do in Acts when they were threatened? Is they got together and they prayed. God, that you would grant boldness to your disciples to do what? To stay in the room and pray that the lost would just get saved spontaneously. People walking down the road, oh, I need Jesus. I need, I, just, I need Jesus. I just woke up. I got to have Jesus. Can somebody, can you, te- can you tell me how to look? I need to know Jesus. Can that happen? Absolutely. I believe the glory of the Lord can be so strong. People can be walking by a place where your business. And people can walk by and they can stop and they go, what is that? There's something that just hit me on the inside I've never felt before. There's that pain. But when I walk by here, it's not there. And they go back and they go, what is that? And they go in and they go, I don't know what it is but there's something different what is it and then the believer can go it's jesus that can happen there's testimonies of that happening there's in the past in awakenings there's been churches who were meeting not on a sunday just in there they were in the auditorium and they were praying and people rode by the church we were talking about what was that one that you and i talking about the videos uh it happened in California, it happened in Brazil. Um, I can't remember the name of it now. But it was this huge awakening. It actually shut down prisons in Brazil. But it was in California at the same time. that There was this outpouring of the Lord. And the, the, this church, they were praying, this in church praying, saying, God, we want, we want you at all costs. And a person riding down the road, suicidal, rode by the church And the presence of the Lord, called them in. They rode in the church and said, what are y'all doing? (laughs) We're praying. They said, I I was riding by, ready to to kill myself. And I felt drawn to come in here. Gave their life to the Lord. Gloriously born again. What was that? It was people tapping into the person of Jesus. Understanding who he is and realizing that he... Cannot be contained inside these four walls, nor the walls of your car, the walls of your business, the walls of your home. He can't be contained. But the way he gets out is as we spend time with him. That's Jesus. I mean, when we look at the life of Jesus, if you study Jesus's life, if you look in Luke, Luke shares more about Jesus praying, uh, it's not the only gospel, but shares more about his praying because it deals with the humanity of Jesus. And you see Jesus, he'll go up into the mountain to pray, and then he comes down, and what happens? Miracles break out everywhere. Then you'll read more, and then you'll see Jesus went apart. He separated himself. He went apart to pray, and as he went apart to pray, he came back down. And when he came down, guess what happened? Miracles happened. You know why? Because he was spending time with the Lord with his Father. And Jesus, what he is, is an example for us. Was he God? Absolutely. But if what he did uh, on the earth, he did it as God, then all we can do is go, wow, that was awesome. But if he did it as a man, filled with God, then what he set for us is a precedent that we should do as well. And that's what John 14, 12 says, greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. That's the precedent that he set. So here's Paul. He's writing to a church. In the church, he said, look, I was with you 10 years ago and you saw extraordinary miracles. You encountered the living God. And I'm praying, I want you to understand that that's in you. It wasn't just in Paul, it's in you. And see, that's what I believe. That's the key part in prayer and awakenings and stuff like that. It's people who just go and they spend time with the Lord. And as they spend time with the Lord, the more time they spend with him, the more they get uh, just enamored by who he is. The more they get drawn into who he is, the more they lose themselves. Does God put more in them? You know, there's a lot of theology about all of that. I think this in Ephesians, he does say here in Ephesians 5 and verse 18, don't be drunk with wine where there's excess, but be filled with the Spirit. In the word be filled there means be ye being filled. The, tense, the verb tense there is a continuous filling. Continuously be filled. It's not because we leak. It's because we should be given out. We shouldn't be stagnant. It shouldn't just come in and sit that we're, we're continually being filled because we're continually pouring out what he's poured in. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 3. Um, verse 8. Ephesians 3, 8, To me, who am less than the least of the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now... The manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. He said, verse 8, To me, whom less than the least of the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. See, this ties in so much with what Katie said because the word unsearchable means this, being impossible to understand on the basis of careful examination or investigation. It's unfathomable. So how does that tie in? Because the word that came was this, you gotta trust me to give you what you need. Because you can't get it through reason and understanding, not even through investigation. You know what? That goes perfectly with last week when I talked about knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. It's so easy to get in a pursuit of knowledge instead of an intimate relationship with Jesus. That's I'm convinced that for me, <laughs> see, I see how I want to say this. The easiest place to backslide was in Bible college. Now, I didn't, I didn't go out and do any stupid things, sin, all that. It wasn't that. It was just the easiest place to get caught up in learning knowledge and not walking in intimacy with him was Bible college because I was surrounded with knowledge. I was, my pursuit was knowledge. I carried a better GPA in Bible college than I did in high school ever. I was focused. I was intentional. But everything was about it. I was memorizing scriptures every week. I'd have to learn three new scriptures on top of the three I knew the week before. And that went on. And it was constantly memorizing scripture. It was constantly uh, learning more information, more information, more information. And intimacy got pushed further and further and further away. Because what I gained was more knowledge and more knowledge and more knowledge. And that's so easy to do. That happens so often because you're there. It's not that your heart is turned away from God, you're turned to God, but you're so focused and the same thing can happen. You don't have to be in Bible college. You can, I just need to learn this. I need to know this and you pursue knowledge and you don't pursue him. He said here that I preached something among the Gentiles that was unsearch, the unsearchable riches of Christ. He said, you're not gonna gain it simply by examination or investigation or trying to learn more. It comes through intimacy with him through spending time with him that his heart is revealed to you that you get to see who he is not just what he does see as we see who he is we know why we'll know why he does what he does and then we can partner when we see it need to be done somewhere else amen <clears throat> all right unsearchable riches of Christ and make and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery that word fellowship is Quinonia, and it means participation, communion, and benefaction. So that means that there's both parties are gaining from it. Do you understand that? That God has put us here for a purpose. That He's trusted us with His finished work, and it's up to us for both to have benefaction. We gain, and He gains. That doesn't sound right, but it's right. Because he's left it to us to do. And as we partner with him, we both are blessed by, by that partnership. What, which was hidden. And the word hidden there was I mean concealed away, to kept, uh, to kept secret. But the word that was just paramount to me is right here in the middle. In verse 10, he said, Which from the beginning of the ages was, has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Verse 10. To the intent that now. Now. You know what that word now means? Now. It means at this present time. So as we're reading this word today, you know what now means? Now. At this present time. What? At this present time. That the manifold wisdom of God might be be made known by the church. To who? To the principalities and powers in heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. It's a lot of descriptive words there. Let's back up. Now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. By the church manifold i've shared this before i love this it's multifaceted many-dimensional many-sided it's the exact word that's used for a diamond a diamond is multifaceted it's cut many different ways why to catch light and to to uh disperse light in the same way the wisdom of god is multifaceted it's many sided. God has so much He wants to say in different ways He can say it when we're connected to Him and allow Him to speak. And not just speak to us, but speak through us to demonstrate who He is. Listen, the many faceted, multifaceted wisdom of God, the word wisdom there is the knowledge and the application of that knowledge. Now, when? Now is the time. For the multifaceted, many sided wisdom of God, right? The knowledge of who God is and what to do with who He is. Right now, it's ours that it might be made known by the church. That's us. Look at your neighbor and say, That's you. The word might be made known, it's one word, one Greek word, and it means this, to certify, to declare, to make known. So it literally means to verify. Are you with me? That we verify. Who does? The church. To the principalities and powers. And this is what's good here. Principality. Here's what principality is. It's any supernatural being beside God acting in a ruling or commanding capacity, either good or evil. Any supernatural being besides God acting in a ruling or commanding capacity, either good or evil. So he said that now is the time for the manifold wisdom of God to be made known, to be certified, to be demonstrated by the church. To who? The principalities any ruling supernatural being in a ruling or commanding capacity it's us the church are we powerless absolutely not absolutely not that's not who we are but paul do you understand what i'm saying paul 20 years prior had spent uh, uh 10 years prior had spent two years plus years teaching people this teaching them teach them now 10 years he's gone and he's get, gotten word that they're living powerless and defeated. So he writes this letter to them. And we even see in Revelation, he said, you've left your first love. Paul's writing to them and saying, listen, this is not something you have to try to get. It's what's on the inside of you. And he said, now, right now is the time that the manifold, the multifaceted wisdom of God can be seen, put on display. Was Paul asking to do something he didn't do? (laughs) No. What did it say about Paul? That uncommon miracles, crazy cool miracles happened at the hand of Paul to the place that all they could say is, Luke writing said, all I can tell you is this, it wasn't just miracles. It was uncommon miracles so much so that they could just take pieces of his clothing. I bet his wardrobe shrunk. The articles of his clothing could, could be given to people who were demon-possessed or sick, and they would be healed and set free. Principalities. He said that, that you should put on demonstration the presence and power of God to principalities and powers. And the word powers means this, a person who exercises administrative control over others. So he's saying here, God, he said, I want you to understand that what's on the inside of you has authority over supernatural beings acting in a ruling or commanding capacity and over a person or a spirit. A person is just a, a qualification. It's not an individual who exercises administrative control over others. So God, Paul is writing and compelling them to understand that right now is the time. Why do you think he prayed for them and in And he didn't write it in chapter and verse, but he prayed for them. Then he wrote this to them that they would understand this is what's on the inside of them. And you know what he did? He prayed for them again. Amen. He did. He really did. You can read. You keep reading and you'll see it yourself. The principalities of powers in heavenly places, according, listen to this, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, verse 12, in whom we have boldness, and access with confidence through faith in him. So we can have boldness. That shameless approach. We can have shameless approach. We can come boldly before him that we have access and confidence through faith in him. So in a, I'm going to wrap it up with this. I'm going to wrap it up with this. He said, That because of what Jesus, he said it's through faith in him, right? That's the last thing he said, through faith in him. He said that you can come boldly to me, that you always have access to me, and you can come with confidence. You know, there's a lot of people in the church who don't feel that way. There's a lot of people in the church, not just some church somewhere out there, but in here. In this church, in, in every church in America, I believe there's a, a, a majority of people who say, Well, I know that Jesus saved me and I know that I'm going to heaven, but you don't know how I acted last week and I lost my cool and I did. And we slip back into that thing about thinking our works give us access to God. Versus saying what Jesus finished gives us access to God. And as we connect with him in intimacy, then the fruit of our lives becomes a work that brings honor and glory to him. We don't work for it. We work from it. So as we have been praying and continue to pray for Azusa here, my heart in it is not that we're begging God to do something or to move. My heart is this, that just as Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said, You guys have forgotten something that's so important. You don't have to beg God to move on your behalf. You need to move in partnership with God. And as we pray, what we do is we understand more about who He is. The more you spend time, you know, this is not a spiritual principle, it's a fact. The more you spend time with someone, the more you know them, right? That's deep, right? That's so deep. No, that's the truth. The more you spend time with people, the more you know about them. And the same is true with the Lord. The more we spend time with Him in prayer, in listening prayer, in talking prayer, and just sharing our heart with Him, in listening, in worship, which is a part of prayer. The more that we spend time with Him, the more that we know Him. And the more that we know Him, the more we look like Him. You know, it's funny. In Bible college, uh, and even uh, I'm sure it it was some me. I was that way as well. But you could tell whose pastor was who <laughs> in Bible college. We all had to preach, right, in Bible college. So when they preached, you know what they preached like? They preached just like the person they grew up under. <laughs> Whoever their pastor was or their mentor, they was a the little mini me. That's what they were. they were. They were trying to, they had spent so much time with them, they learned their mannerisms. I can do it today. I mean, even in, in charismatic Bible colleges, you can tell when someone's come up under a certain ministry, they, they preach like them or they teach like them, and you can, they articulate the same way they articulate. What are they doing? Imitating. They're imitating what they've learned. And, you know, all that's not bad. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not making fun of that, but I'm saying, the more time you spend with someone, you take on their mannerisms, their habits. It's it's funny, Tina and I don't act alike, thank God, but we think a whole lot alike. We'll be in a group text with Brianna, the three of us, and Brianna will say something, and Tina and I can be in two different places geographically, not just in the house, but she could be at work or... Or uh, somewhere, and I could be somewhere else. And we'll respond and say the exact same thing. And Brianna's like, that's weird. (laughs) We've been together almost 30 years. And uh, so we just respond. It's not like I'm trying to answer for Tina. That doesn't work. I don't do that. (laughs) I don't answer for her. Not smart, said the wise young man. I don't answer for her, but we think so much alike because we spent so much time together it's not that we're trying to say the same thing we just respond the same way how cool is that that jesus said that's what i want through intimacy with you so that when you approach a situation you just respond like me and we do that through spending time with him see paul was writing to a church that had an encounter, right? When he got to them, he said, if you received the Holy Spirit, they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Ghost. What are you talking about? We repented and we believed. He said, there's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They got filled with the Holy Ghost, spoke in tongues when Paul laid hands on them. And then 10 years later, they were all, well, Paul's not here. We got to wait for the next guy to come through so we can get some, some of his clothes and then we can get everybody healed. We can get some aprons and some tissues and we'll get everybody healed up. Would you write, Paul, and say, if he can't come, just send his wardrobe. <laughs> we don't need you. We just need your wardrobe. Paul was saying, you don't have to wait for another. He's in you. He's filled you with power and authority. What I'm asking you to do is remember and to walk in it. Amen? Let's stand. So my passion and my heart for us as a local assembly is that as we're meeting and as we're praying about Azusa here is that it's not about a meeting. It's about an awakening. And if you look at the, our website or you look at the Facebook page, it's what it says across the, the bottom, a unified gathering of people pursuing the person of Jesus, the presence of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit, awakening to who He is, and in to make an agreement with who He is in us that we would see Jesus glorified in the earth.
1: And take me to the place where your peace and your love Overflow day